Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? I am Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. We have a new episode, I think, after about a six-week six hiatus of Crossed Up. Uh, you know, I, I saw you over the last few weeks occasionally uh, shooting me a message out there on, on Twitter. Not, not a DM either, but in public saying, <laughs> yo, anybody home? And it, tagging me and saying, like, are we doing this? And uh, yeah, I don't know. You know what I kind of like to think of this show as uh, now? I, I think it's like more of like a pop-up podcast. There you go. Uh, we, we don't want to give you regularly scheduled programming. We just <laughs> we just want to surprise you. You know, yep. it's like a, a randomized gift, really. So here are the Phillies after uh, a really good homestand, man. A 6-2 and two homestand. Uh, they, they take two out of three against Washington and Atlanta, and then they sweep a short two-game set against the Yankees. And I don't know. It looked like we were spiraling towards another season of irrelevance here with this baseball team, but we're on a Monday morning. Philly's only three games out behind the Mets. How are we feeling, Anthony? I'm feeling pretty good, and it's funny, Bob, because you know we haven't really had a chance to talk. But I've been sitting here, um, and you know, both of my sons are are very uh, big baseball fans, but very um, uh, pessimistic about the Phillies. I have been for most of the season yeah, and, you know I, and who can and who can blame them right I mean I mean the way that the Phillies were playing there for a while I get it but I keep I kept reminding them I kept saying look guys this is a long haul they're they're kind of hanging in they're figuring it out they haven't had a full lineup other than two games this season I said I, I think that there's a still there's a run left in this team that can get them back into a, a really good playoff conversation Let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see. I, I could see it coming. And, you know, he, they didn't, you know, they're fighting with me. They disagree with me. They argue with me. But, man, these last eight games at home, and really, if you want to take it back to the blowout win in Cincinnati, probably, you know, before the rainout, June 1st, I mean, that makes them seven and two for the month of June. Um, they've, it, it, it's, it's been a different team. And what I mean by that, it's not just the fact that they're seven and two, but Bob, it, it what's what's made me get a little bit more excited about them, uh, offensively anyway, is they they're doing things that you that b- belie what's happening in all around baseball. Um, their their two strike approach has been really good. They're hitting the ball the opposite way. They're putting up all these runs without really hitting home runs. I mean, they hit six on that on an eight-game homestand, which you look at it and say, well, they still hit six home runs, but really none in, what, the last three games? You know, and, and they scored 19 runs in those three games and didn't do it, did it without any home runs. So, like, they're and not only that, they're stealing bases and doing it well. 
I mean, they're not getting caught stealing. They're a really good base stealing team. And, they, you know, they brought in Jankowski for a sacrifice bunt that worked. I mean, little things are happening. And I sit there and say, this kind of goes against everything that we, you know, we've been seeing in baseball in general for the last four or five years. And it's working. Don't change it. Stick yeah. with it and see what happens. It's um, it's funny you say that because obviously on Sunday, Aaron Knowles, the story goes out seven to two thirds shutout innings and he's back and everyone's excited. And, you know, the thing that I looked at really jumped out at me is the first inning of, of uh, the Sunday game. You know, you have Oduble Herrera, two, two count, slices a ball to left field for a base hit, gets things started. Gene Segura uh, works a, a seven pitch at bat, hits the ball out to right field. They get a quick first and third out of it. You know, and, and like that is the thing that you talk about, like th- that baseball hasn't had or we haven't seen a lot of, especially here in recent years. And, and those are the things that over the last week to two weeks, this team's been doing with a little bit more consistency, with a little bit more frequency. And it does. It, it kind of makes you think like, OK, maybe if they don't live and die by the home run, maybe if there is a little bit more versatility, this offense, maybe they are a little bit more creative. There could be something to this. And I do think that there's something to be said for stringing together multiple hits, manufacturing runs, playing, you know, not even necessarily small ball. I mean, like hitting the ball the other way isn't necessarily small ball. I I think that there's really something that can be said though, for playing that type or that type of that, that type of baseball, that brand of baseball that does something for you from a momentum standpoint, Mm -hmm. like you, you hit a solo home run, right. And it happens and you go, okay, you put a run on the board and it all counts the same. But when you have a guy work and grind through in a bat, and single the other way and take a good approach. Like guys in the dugout see that, right? Yeah. And then the next guy comes up and he works a six, seven pitch at bat. And then he singles and guys see that and they go, yo, you know, like this is what we're doing. We can do it this way. And I think that that kind of invigorates a team a little bit from an offensive standpoint. And I think you're seeing that with these guys right now. Now, is it sustainable? I don't know. Are they going to commit to it long-term? We'll see. But in this, in this homestand, I think you're really seeing that. And, and it, to me is eye-opening because if you go back, so like, you know, let's just say since the start of 2018, how many games have the Phillies won and how many times have they won multiple games or consecutive games without hitting home runs? I mean, right, the, right. the instances have to be few and far between. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And um, I, I, I heard something on the uh, radio broadcast yesterday. Uh, I was listening to uh, uh, Scott Fransky um, talking about it and with uh, with Larry Anderson. And they were saying that, you know, this was something that Joe Dillon really was wanted to instill in his hitters as they approached the month of June. I mean, it, I know it's it's kind of just like an arbitrary thing that they flip the calendar and all of a sudden things change. Right. I mean, but, you know, to be honest, when when you're playing baseball every day and, and don't, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that these guys have been playing every day since mid-February, um, including spring training. Yeah, guys have had days off and stuff like that. But the, the sense of going to the park and, and being together and being around each other, it's basically an everyday thing four months now. That when you have a calendar flip, sometimes it's just like a, a mental reset, right? It's like, okay, we got that bad stretch out of the way. We're starting anew here, okay? Right. And so it, a, little bit, a little bit of a mental reset. And part of that reset has been that, you know, hey, we're going to take this new approach and see how it works. I, so when you say is it sustainable, I hope so. Well, I, think I when, hope it's I hope it's an approach that they keep they keep going. I think when you go through fifty games, fifty five games, and you see that you're not getting results, you go back to last year, you didn't get results. 
A lot of these guys were around in 2019. They didn't get results. And I think at some point, you know, if you have a coach that, that can, that can teach it, that can preach it, um, you, you have to just buy in so much of, of an offensive approach, right. Is about a willingness of the players to buy in, whether that's on a youth level, uh, whether it's at the collegiate level or a professional level, you know, there's guys that, you know, in high school that, that really want, to, to play small ball, to hit the ball the other way, to hit the ball on the ground, put pressure on the defense, bunt. Players got to buy into it, though, right? right. Like, if they, they get that bunt sign and they don't put it down, they say, oh, okay, like, see, I didn't get it down. Let me swing away. Let me swing away. Like, that's not buying in. Certain guys embrace it and create that havoc. In Major League Baseball, it's a little bit different. You're not going to see guys up there bunting for hits every game or every other inning. But that idea of, Hey, am I willing to go the other way? Am I willing to not just roll over on an outside breaking pitch? You know, am I willing to have unselfish at bats, move runners around, get jobs done? You know, that is a buy-in. And if you buy in, I do think that it can be infectious and I do think that it can spread. And, and right now, you know, I don't want to make too much of one good stretch of play for the Phillies. I mean, they've spent the, the majority of this season, aside from the first couple series, playing very underwhelming, uh, poor situational hitting, yep. um, poor defense, poor base running. But you have to give them credit here. They've stabilized. They've at least given themselves a shot when it looked like for quite a while here, for, for really more than a month, that they were trending in the completely wrong direction. So they wake up today. They have a, a hell of a West Coast swing in front of them here. And, and that's kind of where I, I come this morning. Like, great job. It's May 9th. You know, you're, you're over 500 for the first time since May 19th. Like, that's, that's fantastic, right? Uh, you've, you've strung together now three consecutive series wins. You haven't done that all year. You're seeing some improvement. I, I tweeted out a little while ago, the Phillies have three starting pitchers right now that are in the top 16 of war. Uh, you have Wheeler, who's number two. You have Nola, who's number 13 after yesterday. You have Zach Eflin, who's 16th. You have three really good starting pitchers here. They have pieces. There's stuff to feel good about. You got to go out and win on the road now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not expecting a five and one road trip. I mean, you got the, you got two really good teams here in the Dodgers and the Giants. I'm not saying that they have to go out and dominate, but they have to, they have to hold serve. You know, you, you have to go out here and at least split these next six games. Mm -hmm. If you want to be, taken seriously like I'm not saying that if they go two and four that they're out of it you know you look at the standings and you go ah, oh, look you know what they might be four games back right so it's not that they might bury themselves if they don't go out there and have a, a 500 or a winning road trip but if you really want to create belief you got to take it out west as far as I'm concerned I agree with you and and you know there's an opportunity I think with the Dodgers I mean Dodgers are banged up um, their pitchers are still there. So, I mean, it's going to, it's still going to be a challenge to, to get, uh, to hit like they've been hitting, uh, on the homestand, but the, the Dodgers lineup is a little, a little mishmash right now. I mean, they're playing without some really top end players in their lineup. Um, I mean, Max Muncie was having his best season ever. Um, and then he just got hurt. Seager's been out Bellinger's, you know, off and on with his injury. I'm not sure what his, uh, updated status is. So, I mean, they're, they're missing some people. Um, in the middle of that lineup. And so it's a real opportunity for the Phillies to try and take advantage of that. Um, and again, I think when you face really good pitching, like you're going to face against the Dodgers, continuing this approach might be the best way to go about it because you, you can't sit there and, and, and try and be home run or nothing. You can't be, you can't strike out 12, 13 times a game against the Dodgers and expect to win. 
Right. right? You got to put the ball in play. You got to move runners. You got to get, even if you only get six hits in a game, at least if somebody gets on base and steals a bag and you move them over and hit a sack fly, you still scored a run only with one hit, right? So, I mean, you have to take advantage of the opportunities when you have runners on base. And that's another thing we didn't even mention. They've been good. They're finally starting to hit with runners in scoring position, something that they haven't done all year that, that they did well uh, on this homestand as well. Um, so I think there's an opportunity there. You know, and let's see what happens. I, I want to take it one series at a time. And I know that sounds very managerial cliche, but at the same time, um, I don't want to look ahead to the Giants until I see how they play against the Dodgers. Right. Because they, the, the Giants are a good team, but they're a good team in a different way than the Dodgers. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, Gosman's having a career year pitching for, for the Giants, but, but the Giants are winning in different ways. And I got to say, and I, I know you probably knew this was coming, but like the, with the Dodgers, you just look at the roster and you go, okay, I get it. You know, like this, we all understood going into this season, there's a reason that they won last year. There's a reason that they were such an overwhelming favorite this year. With the Giants, like you said, it's not necessarily quite as apparent. When like you look at the roster, you go, wow, this, team's, this team is 40 and 25 through 60, you know, 65 games. They're 18 and nine at home sign of a good manager well they're 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 what they're doing is is they are a matchup team they're that roster is built specifically to match up they have guys who play again they 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 play what like at the four i think they have four regular players in their lineup and then the other five positions or the other well four positions plus the pitcher uh the other four positions are matchup guys so guys who hit lefties guys who hit righties really well and that's depending on who your pitcher is that's who they're going to throw out there um so it's an interesting thing i mean i look you know you want to say sign of a good manager i think it's a sign of a of an, of an approach that's working for an organization and, and the manager's implementing it right so um, and I, I was going to say the same thing, honestly, about the Phillies. Like, you know, I, I didn't mention that this run was courtesy of Joe Girardi. I mean, this this could be an organizational philosophy that he's just implementing. And I, I think that we're seeing a lot more of that in baseball all around. So, um, you know, if, if you want to say, oh, well, you know, good good on Joe for making this work the last eight, eight or nine games. OK, well, that and then good on Gabe for doing what he's doing with the Giants that's fine. But in both instances, it may not be them specifically. It might actually be an organizational thing. That's that the teams are approaching it and, and, and doing it with success. I mean, Farhan Zahidi's, I mean, I, I read a story about how he's looking at this and, and man, it was like one of the most nerd worthy stories I've ever read. Like all his quotes, the things that he was talking about, I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, this is awful. I can't get through this, but it's hard to knock it when it's working, right? I mean, you, you can't sit there and, and kill the guy uh, when it's working. But heaven forbid they fall off the map uh, and fall out of this and become like a 500 team again. And you're, you know, then I'm going to look back at that story and say, "Oh, how, how's that working for you now?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so about a week ago, I was assessing this team, and I don't know that I feel terribly different about it. I mean, it's it's nice to see. Just from a coverage standpoint, I know that you and Russ sort of talked about this uh, on your last Snow the Goalie. You know, I grew up a Phillies fan, grew up in the area. Um, you know, covering the team, I think that it's important that you can be critical when it's warranted. Um, I think it's okay to, I don't want to say cheer for the team, but I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to see a team win. And frankly, uh, for, for me, from a selfish standpoint, um, I kind of want to see the Phillies go in one of two directions. Uh, I want to see them either, you know, get hot and really become a contender or, you know, uh, 
decide that, hey, this isn't working out and go a completely different direction. I, I feel like I've been watching the same team just kind of hang in limbo now for the last uh, number of years. And I find myself writing many of the same things that I've, I've kind of had to write over the last three years. And I'm, I'm ready to see them make a move one way or the other. Um, but from a, from a selfish standpoint, it's, it's more fun when they win, right? Like the, the, the crowd is more fun. People are more into it. People want to uh, get more of the content, you know, from a, from our standpoint, it's, it's just better when the team is good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look at this and I just, I don't know. And I'm, I'm not ready to say that the last week really changed my overall viewpoint of this, but I'm very curious to see what the next six weeks will entail for this organization. You know, Anthony, one of the things we talked about when they first brought in Dave Dombrowski was that, yeah, you know, obviously they want somebody to, uh, that, that has a little bit more, uh, experience uh, a little bit more clout around the league to be making some of these decisions, but really not just about in terms of molding the roster uh, moving forward. But I think that one of the reasons Dave Dombrowski has been here from the start is that John Middleton said, my organization's a mess. Uh, you know, we haven't won. We were supposed to win. I spent all this money. The minor league system's a joke. I need a guy, an adult to come in and survey the, the, the carnage here and really assess what we've done wrong as an organization. And I wonder what Dave Dombrowski's found over the last handful of months. So I, I wonder if he's looking at this team and saying, this was a nice little run. We need a major overhaul. Or if he's looking at this team and saying, you know, maybe it's just a tweak or two. My supposition is that they need to change the, the dynamics of this roster. Um, where they do that, how they do that, uh, I, I think it's a lot easier said than done. But w- what do you think? You know, do, do you expect to see something really aggressive where you go, wow, like they made that move? Like, that's crazy. Or do you think this is going to be like a tweak and add or, you know, if they fall out of it, trade a piece? You know, what do you expect? Yeah, it's a great question, Bob. And, I, you know, I, I, I want to be optimistic and I want to believe that this team, you know, can get to where, you know, our preseason predictions were, which was mid to high 80s wins. Um which obviously they're not quite on pace for right now, um, but at the same time they're not too far off from. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I look at this cal- I look at the calendar, and it's not just this like this road trip. I mean, it doesn't get easy until the end of July for this team. I mean, you know, it it just I'm just going to rattle off some names. You go Dodgers, Giants, a quick one with Washington. Okay, Mets, Washington. Then, by the way, like we talked yeah. about this in March, Washington stinks. stinks. Yeah, they stink. Yeah, they're terrible. Um, Miami, obviously they always give the uh, flyers or flyer. Yeah. I was going to say Eagles and flyers instead of <laughs> Phillies. They give the Phillies trouble, uh, Padres Cubs who are having a great year, Boston, and then Miami Yankees, Atlanta before the end of the July is Washington and then Pittsburgh. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's just like a, it's, it's a gauntlet. Okay. For this team. So they're going to really have to beat some good teams. If you're in contention by that approaching that trade deadline, you have to feel good about it because, You've beaten some good teams to get there. Um, and if you're not in contention, it's because you're not as good as those teams who you need to compete with, you know, and what are, you know, because if, if you're going to make the playoffs, the odds are you're going to play a, an LA, a San Francisco, a San Diego, a Cubs kind of team. Um, or, or if, you know, if you get really hot and get back into the wild card race too, a Mets could possibly so, be, that, you know, I'm glad you said that, right? Because the way that the, the National League landscape is sort of shaping up here as we get to mid-June is that the Phillies, if they want to make the postseason, the, the most direct route is going to be through the division. 
you see the the season that the Cubs are having, the season the Brewers are having, the Giants are a surprise. Obviously, the Padres and Dodgers off to good starts. Like, I don't see the Phillies jumping into the wild card mix here. Like, I think that they're going to have to take advantage of an Atlanta team that has sputtered out of the gates, uh, an overrated Washington team, uh, a Marlins team that's clearly not ready yet. And I think that this is going to become a – a Phillies Mets and, and maybe the Braves kind of get going here a little bit too. But I, I think that the Phillies only shot really. Um, and I know it's early to say this, but I really do think the way that things are shaping up, the Phillies only shot to make the postseason is going to be through the NL East. Yeah, probably. I mean, they're five games back of the wild card right now. Three games back in the division, five games back in the wild card. Um, the only saving grace in a wild card race is there's more opportunity for teams that are, that are in the race playing each other because they're across multiple divisions and that there's a, there's a chance for it to get a little bit more muddled. And so you don't need to go on such a great hot streak to get back into it. Like you could play two or three games over 500 and potentially gain ground. Whereas the the Phillies have gone what seven and two in the last nine games and only picked up a game and a half on the Mets. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that's, that's the difference, right? I mean, it's, it's a little bit harder to make up ground in your division than it is in a wild card race. So that's the only saving, but I agree with you. I think the thing that concerns me, because I totally agree with you. The thing that concerns me in the West is that you have two teams that are just awful in, in Colorado uh, and in Arizona. I mean, they're like auto wins. So even if those top three teams beat each other up a little bit, they're always going to have that handful of games. Correct. Stellar dwellers. Yeah. And the same thing kind of goes in the central. I mean, I know the Cardinals are competent to, to an extent, um, but you know, you have the Brewers Cardinals Cubs, and then you have just Drek at the bottom of that. And, yeah. You know, it just creates, I think it's, it, I think it's going to be difficult. And so when you pair that up, with the idea that, yeah, they have a difficult schedule. I guess, I guess that things should be more evident, you know, come four or five weeks from now where they're at. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's, so that's why I, you know, I'm not sure yet what they're going to be and what Dombrowski's approach is going to be um, come towards the end of July. But I think that looking at the schedule, we'll know. Like I, like, I don't think it's a situation where it's, it's going to be, Oh, they're probably still going to be in the middle somewhere. I think it's either going to be they're in this or they're out of this. I don't think that there's going to be that middle ground so because of the way that they have to play the schedule. Let's look at it uh, from, from both perspectives then. Like, let's play out both scenarios. So in the first scenario, they're in it. Um, just based on the knowledge that we have now, I mean, guys can get hurt. Things can happen. Someone mm-hmm. gets hot. Someone goes ice cold. But just based on what we know now, let's say that the Phillies are sitting, you know, within two games, either they're in the lead or they're two games back of the division uh, come, let's say, you know, July 27th. Okay. What's the what's the feeling here? What are they doing? How do they? They need they need, they they need a few things. They need a few things, Bob. In, in all honesty, I mean, I, I, I they need another starting pitcher in my mind. Um, they need probably another bullpen arm, and I they need a right-handed bat off the bench. Um, I think those are, those are the three things to me priorities one, two, three um, that this team needs. Assuming that the rest of the nat- lineup stays healthy, obviously, if Gregorius can't come back. Shortstop is an, is a is a question. Someone asked me yeah. about the possibility of Trevor Story this morning. Well, I mean, it's that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, so that changes things if he, if he can't right. come back, right? And I mean, if Gregorius does come back, I don't think the Trevor Story would be an option. I, I believe Trevor Story is making about 18 million dollars this year. He's yeah, 242 as we're talking. Only yeah. full home runs. He's been okay. Like, I don't know what and a guy that obviously is a free agent. Um, so I, I wonder what the what the package would be for a player like him. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be going crazy trying to bring him here. Um, but that being said, 
you talked about a bullpen arm and, and Hector Naris has obviously been a talking point amongst, uh, you know, fans and, and media guys. And I had tweeted out on Saturday. I said, listen, trying to be fair about this. Like Hector Naris to me is a, is a good, a good pitcher. You know, yeah. he's a good reliever. He's probably the Phillies best reliever right now, you know? And, and so it's, it's weird, but I said, listen, I, I feel like that this guy is, is a good option. He's a good pitcher. I'm not trying to dunk on the dude. But, like, how much longer can they they do the Hector Neris thing in the ninth? And to me, if they want to get serious about being a contender, it's not that they're a bullpen piece away. They're a guy that can pitch the ninth inning piece away. Yeah, and, you're right. And that, to me, is where they've got to upgrade. And starting pitching, I agree. They need a little bit more stability in the back end. I think that we know now that Chase Anderson and Matt Moore, uh, you know, aren't really viable options. The Vince Velasquez, Spencer Howard tag team I don't think gives you quite enough back there. Um, I'm okay with one of them, I guess, as a five. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But it can't be, it can't be those three guys. Can't be front both of them. Right. So they probably need a, a, a way to figure out to, to solidify the back there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if I'm doing this and I'm saying, Hey, a month from now, we're talking about this five, six weeks from now, we're talking about this to me, the priority is you have to get somebody in here to pitch the ninth inning. You just mm-hmm. have to. Um, okay. So yeah. that would be my, my primary thing. Now, the more intriguing, and I know that people don't want to talk about this, especially coming off of a, you know, seven and two run here, six and two homestand, is what happens if the Phillies kind of revert back to what they've been now for the last number of years, which is okay, but just not good enough. And that's where the question gets interesting for me because, you know, people say like, well, hey, let's trade Gene Segura. You know, he's having a great year. Um, but that's, that's the move. You just trade him. He's not a clubhouse guy. There's a reason he's bouncing around from team to team. And that's the move that you make to kind of reshape the Phillies roster. And I don't think that that gets it done. I don't either. So I think that what fans want to always do is say like, how can we make our team better without really giving up a whole lot? Right? Like how do we trade a, a fringe piece, a second or third tier piece and get back a meaningful return that really, you know, catapults us to the next level. I don't think that that's going to be the, the reality for the Phillies here. So they're going to have to do something that's hard. They're going to have to do something that might be uncomfortable. And Dave Dombrowski has a history of doing these types of things. I just wonder if, let's say, the Phillies are three or four games under 500 come the end of July, and they're seven or eight games back, and it's pretty clear it's another year where they're not going to get to where they want to go. Do you start to think about trading a guy like Reese Hoskins? Yes. I was going to the name, about, I, name I was going to say. Yes. Do you start to think about trading potentially? And this sounds insane, I know, to many people. But do you start to look at your rotation and say, we have two very high-priced pitchers here uh, at the top of our rotation, or do you look at them and say, like, these are our building blocks. We will stick with these guys moving forward. Like, you're going to have to do uncomfortable things. And and to me, the most obvious choice is Reese Hoskins. And it's not because I think he sucks. You know, like fans, like I see fans all the time, like on Twitter, go like, how could you want to trade Reese Hoskins? He's been one of our best hitters. I'm like, well, that's the whole point. You know, like mm-hmm. he has value. He's, he's a pretty good player. So that's why you think about doing it. Yeah, well, uh, to me, <clears throat> I'm going to take this in two parts. Why Hoskins makes sense is because you have, and you, you know, Bohm is starting to come out of it a little bit. I mean, you're starting to see him get a couple hits He's starting to take that approach back again. He's, he's getting out of his own head a little bit. He's not a third baseman. He'd probably be better at first base anyway. So you have a, a, a an automatic replacement for Hoskins at first base. Yeah, you'd have to, you know, find somebody a third. But, I mean, that's 
that's also a, a place where you can, you know, down the road, you can add somebody, you can add a, a free agent and that, and that's okay. Um, well, you so, know, the other thing is too, if Bryson stop becomes a thing here next right, season, stop, right. maybe yeah, yeah. you're moving Segura over to third, maybe you're moving Gregorius over to third. I mean, you have some, you could have yeah, flexibility. It. Yeah. You have some flexibility. Um, you mean not Scott Kingery? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, so yeah, so I mean, Hoskins to me makes a lot of sense because there was there is value there, and you could probably get some good return for him. As far as the pitchers go, I, I'm less likely to want to move a pitcher only because I value pitching so much, especially starting pitching. I mean, bullpen bullpen arms are volatile; they change year to year to year. One guy has a great year one year and a terrible year the next. So if like maybe if there was some interest in some of the bullpen pieces for some reason, you know, I would consider saying, yeah, okay, I can, I can move on. From, I mean, I could trade a Hector Naris, right? I mean, and get something for him. Sure. I mean, you wouldn't like to do it. You want to talk about another hard decision, a guy who's really well-liked by everybody around the organization and, and the team. Um, but maybe, you know, I could, I could see doing something like that if there's value. Uh, but I don't necessarily know if I would move on from the, from the three guys at the top of the rotation. I think that they are – foundational uh you know it's it's like interesting to me like if you talk about like a nola or a wheeler right like i'm not when i like kind of propose this hypothetical i don't really envision a scenario where you move on from either of those guys and and make your team better over the next handful of years like the phillies aren't a tear down scenario here right, right? that's like, that's that's what you do you trade a pitcher when you're tearing it down right and and i can't see them doing that i just i i just wonder is there some package where you say like we have just moved a very meaningful win now you know win right now piece in return for a guy that is ready to step in and become a win now in 2022 piece like I'm talking top 10 top 15 prospects in baseball like you look at like San Diego right like they have um the kid Gore the lefty he's like a top McKenzie, 10 pitcher McKenzie, in Gore, McKenzie yeah. Gore like you know I'm talking like a, a blow your you know just blow your doors off type of deal like where you're talking about really you know, getting aggressive and going all in and, and taking a big swing. I, I just don't, I don't think that that would happen. I don't think that they would do that. I don't think that San Diego would necessarily do that, you know, but it just kind of, to me, if, if we get another six weeks into this and maybe it doesn't happen this summer, but I think that at some point, if the Phillies and this iteration of this team falls short, underwhelms, doesn't make the postseason. I think that that like seismic change is coming. Like, I think that they're going to do something where, you know, you get the alert on your phone and go, Oh shit. You know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. this is a different team next year. Yeah. Well, Dombrowski's not a, not a, a patient guy. Never has been. I mean, really when you, except for when they were, uh, the, the, there was the quick rebuild. Uh, well, not quick, but the rebuild in Detroit. I think that's really the only time that in his career when he was really patient um with what he was doing but it was a, but it was certainly a plan that was put in place there right um everywhere else he's been he's been a guy who's tried to win and he's done so by being bold um and so i think that that's a that's where this phillies team will be it's either they're going to be bold 
in the sense that they're going to go for it this year, or they're going to be bold and move someone you don't expect them to move to try and be the, that competitive team next in 2022. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that, I think that's, what's coming. That's why I say, I, th I think it's an extreme. I think it's either the, that's why I think this Phillies team is either in this in, at the end of July or they're out of this at the end of July. I don't so think. What do you think? I mean, like, I, I agree with you that, that there probably isn't going to be this middle ground, but so then if I put you on the spot here, what do you expect? I think they hang in. I do. I like the, I really like the lineup. I really like that they they figured it out. They found a spot for McCutcheon that makes a little bit more sense. I like the way that he's where you know that he's approaching things in that either five or six hole, depending on the lineup, right? Um, uh, I love having both Herrera and Segura at the top of the lineup. I think that they make things happen, um, uh, and I think that they are. I think there's a friendly little thing going on between them to try and see who can one up the other guy right um it's really kind of it's like a cool thing and you know segura had the 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 walk-off hit and we talked about herrera doing the right thing the base running thing they were joking about it i don't know if you saw it um they're interviewing segura post game and herrera comes over and they're, they're talking in spanish and tom mccarthy asks segura what he was saying and uh, I guess I forget what Herrera said something to him and Segura goes, yeah, well, you, you should have ran right away. You should have known. You should have known better. <laughs> so like they were going, like, giving each other a little shit back and forth. Um, so I, I kind of like that. I like that they have that uh, that kind of friendly banter going between the two of them at the top. Um, and that really sets up the middle of your lineup because it really it, it allows Real Muto and Har I mean, Harper's got eight home runs. They're all solo homers. He only got 18 RBI because he hasn't had an opportunity to drive anybody in. Right. Well, now he's going to have those opportunities because these guys are getting on base. So, like, Real Muto, Harper, Hoskins, if he gets out of his little slump, McCutcheon in that spot, and then Bohm's in a much more comfortable spot where he's not not being pressured to be a run producer like he was earlier in the year. Like, I like him being there. And, you know, it's going to be interesting when Didi comes back to see – does D, is Didi your eight hitter? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, how does that all well, piece together? If you, if you go back and play some of the episodes, I think, leading into the season, we just talked about, like, the depth of this lineup and how they just be able to grind you up and beat yeah. you in a ton of different ways. And, and then, obviously, that did not happen for, for two months. Um, and you're starting to see it, and you're starting to kind of dream on it a little bit as you're, you're seeing guys heat up. And, I mean, you look at the, the month of April that Andrew McCutcheon had, and you kind of go, he's cooked. You know, it's just – it's over. But all of a sudden you look up today and you're, you know, 65 games in the season or whatever it is. And the guy has a 760 OPS. He's got, I believe, uh, 10 homers and, and, and 10 extra other uh, base hits or 10 other extra base hits. And you say all of a sudden, like this guy might end up with 45, 50 extra base hits by the time it's all said and done this season. Right. You know, if he's hitting six, seven for you, that, that's a game changer. Alec Bohm, obviously, I think is part of the reason that the lineup struggled so much. And really, as he uh, got to the end of May, uh, it kind of hit rock bottom. You know, the last nine, 10 games of the month of May, uh, he hit 043. He's still, as we're recording here and having this conversation, he hasn't had an extra base hit in his last 73 plate appearances, but he has been much better. Uh, the approaches look a lot better. Swings look a lot better here in the month of June. He's hitting over 300, um, you know, and you just kind of hope that those singles start to lead to doubles, start to lead to a little bit more power. And, and if they can get him going, Maybe he's not going to finish as a 280 hitter this year like we all thought he was going to, but, you know, he's he's not the 205, 210 guy that we've seen for a lot of this year. Right, and, and putting him in the seven hole is is okay. Yeah. Like, it's 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 not – you're not relying on him, and I think that was part of the problem when we were sitting there saying, man, this lineup can't hit because he was hitting 200, and he was in, the, and he was in a run-producing spot most of the time. 
And that was killing them. That was killing the Phillies, you know? And of course, I mean, you know, obviously they were leaning on them even more when Harper and Romuto were out of the lineup, right. um, which made it even worse. Um, but yeah, no, I like the way this lineup sets up. You had three really good pitchers. Um, yeah, the, the defense is still a, a, a major problem and the bullpen is, although better than last year, is still not good enough. Um, so yeah, those are areas that need to be better. But when you have that good of a lineup and you have three top-notch pitchers, you should be able to maintain competitiveness in a, in a playoff race. Yeah, I really feel like we're talking at a point where um, you said, you know, we'll know a month from now. And I know that the schedule remains difficult after they come back off this West Coast trip. But I think for me, the next six games are telling. They're just a team that has not won on the road, has, has not won on the road in previous years, certainly has not done it this year. This is a show me week, you know, and I think if they can get through this week and they, they play competitive baseball, they, you know, stabilize, at least go 500 out there over these next six games, uh, then I'll probably be a little bit more willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. I need to see it, though. I need to see it on the road. Well, I'll, I'll go one further. I think it I think it actually I mean, we can look at this week as, as a, a show me week and that's fine. But, you know, part of this trip, 11, well, 11 game, 11 road games in 13 days or 13 games uh, includes a four game series against the Mets in New York. Yeah. And that, to me, that's that's the that's the Waterloo for June. OK, because you have to do you have to maintain at least you have to split that series at least with the Mets. Um Especially and, and I you're, think that you're probably not going to skip the Grom like you did last time. I think that part of my reluctance, I don't want to say reluctance to, to buy in or to believe what I'm seeing. I think that what we saw this, this past homestand shows you what they're capable of in a way. But I, I, I envision those games up in New York and, you know, Wheeler goes seven and gives up two and he's facing Stroman who gives up seven and, or gives up two and goes seven and, it's two, two in the eighth and the Phillies get a leadoff guy on. Like, do they, do they get that guy in? Like, do they protect that three, two lead in the seventh or eighth inning in that low scoring game? And like, those are the things that they've not done on a consistent basis. And they sure as hell haven't done them on the road. And until I see them win those games, like, you know, we're so provincial. And like, I, I look at things because, you know, I grew up as a Phillies fan. I cover the Phillies. But like you go back to when they were good and you probably do this with any team that's ever been good in the history of the sport. They go out on the road and they win tough road games that you don't expect them to win. And like, you remember like those Phillies teams that were in the postseason a decade ago, they go up to New York and they'd be down three, two and someone would pop that two run Homer or like they would, they would hold on to that lead. They would make that yes. diving play that preserves the lead. And you're just like, I need to see that from this team. Right. Like, because I haven't, and I just doubt their ability to do it. But if they can do that, then yeah, you create belief. Yeah, that's 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 the series that to me is going to be the after that series, I'll I'll have a I think I think a better handle on exactly what this team's going to be. I mean, yeah, the, the schedule's tough in July too, but man, you got you got to look at that and say six games against Dodgers and Giants. Yeah, you get a little quick reprieve with the two against Washington, but then four in three days. Again, double header with the seven inning games, which I hate. But I mean, those things, you know, the, the Phillies have not done well in seven inning double headers, right? I mean, they really haven't. So like th that week, that Friday night double header, and then Saturday Sunday against them, like that's going to be to me where we we're, we're going to look at this in two weeks and say, all right, now we know, now we have a better idea. Yeah. Well, I am very very curious to see how it it all shakes out with the Phillies. And before we get out of here. I know uh, I want to take a, a little bit of a, a big picture look. 
Let's talk a little bit about the uh, manipulation and the doctoring of baseballs. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know I am sure that you saw Garrett Cole. Uh, <laughs> he was asked, I believe, by New York, uh, New York Daily News, Ken Davidoff. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not, not really sure how to, to answer that. And I actually understood it. I know everyone was killing him, and I mean, rightfully so. Um, he had to know that question was coming. I'm, I cannot believe that he was so caught off guard by it. But, yeah. I mean – I think that really what he was saying here was like, yes, no shit. That's what I'm doing. And so are 80% of pitchers in baseball. And I know there's an investigation coming about this. So I think that the conversation needs to be had with baseball, not with you guys. Like that was really what he was trying to say. And and he's right. You know? So I guess I, first of all, I have no issue with it. Like I have no issue with uh, the guys that did it. Um, If it's become so, widespread throughout the sport and so many people knew about it nothing was being done about it like to me it's like if everyone speeds on a road if everyone goes 40 through a 25 and nobody ever gets pulled over and it's just understood that you can go 40 on this road until someone actually gets pulled over you know like I just I can't I can't kill somebody for that you know like I can't kill someone for just doing what is accepted if they know it's going to be their benefit and it's not going to be policed what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm tough. I'm torn a little bit with this one, Bob, because and I, and I have to say this because, you know, if we go back 20 years to the steroid era, 25 years to the steroid era, I, I was really opposed to those guys at the time doing what they were doing to try and hit home runs right at, at ridiculous rates. And, you know, it bothered me because I would see a guy like a Brady Anderson, for example, who, <laughs> who would only hit nine, 10 home runs run. a year, who suddenly hit 50. Like yeah. to me, that altered the game, right. right? I mean, that's, that changed the game. So that's why I was opposed to it today. Obviously the pit pitchers, all pitchers throw upper nineties now. I mean, that's kind of the way the sport has changed. So I'm not certain that, putting a little extra grip on a baseball is going to change the speed. It might change the spin rate a little bit, but not really, not really change the speed. Can these guys still throw 97, 98 without spider tack? I think so. I think they can. Um, so I'm not certain it's affecting it as much. I think that let me, let's, let's see hitters adjust a little bit first and see what happens. And if hitters can adjust to it and still hit it, then it's not as big a deal to me. Well, it's, so, it's interesting you say that. There's a, a Somebody tweeted out today, and I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but they said since really this investigation has kind of come to the forefront just in the past like seven, seven days or so, batting average across the game is up by like 13 points. Strikeouts are down a little bit. And so like you wonder, you know, again, small sample size, a lot of different variables can be in play here, but you would, you would look at it and say, hey, if we have our lowest spin rates of the entire season – and we're seeing the offensive numbers creep up a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing I can I can say is you always hear pitchers talk about, you know, well, I had this pitch. I didn't have this pitch today. And it's yeah. all about the feel, right? It's all about how they feel it. And, like, I was listening to Nola talk about uh, his game, about how he felt, um, you know, how his curveball grip was and how his fastball grip was. And, like, he can tell. And then I, and then pregame yesterday, here, I'll throw back, you know, a little throwback here for you. Pregame, John Brazier did an interview with Brad Lidge. And he was talking about throwing the sliders to Eric Hinsky and, in the world series to strike him out. And he said, when I gripped the last pitch, I knew I was throwing all sliders at the guy because 
last time I had faced him, he killed me off of, off of the fastball. He said, and I could feel that grip across the seams. And I knew it was going to be a good slider. Yeah. They know beforehand. So maybe there's like that, co- this confidence thing for pitchers, just knowing that grip is there. And so maybe when they're not, they don't, they're more prone to mistakes when they don't have that grip. And I think to me, I think that's the difference, yeah. right? I, I hear you with the, the steroid thing too. Like, I mean, I, I feel the same way about it. Uh, the, the only difference I kind of see in these two situations is like in one you, because I hear people say it all the time. They're like, well, anyone could have done steroids. They, they could have done it too. But like, that's also yeah. like putting something into your body, like harming right. your body. Whereas we're talking about like putting some tar on your glove or, you right. know, spider tack has been the, the hot topic lately. You know, it's interesting too. <laughs> you go back and like, you remember the scene from, from major league uh, where, you know, <laughs> you got Rick Vaughn sitting there and he looks around. He's like, what, what is that? And he's like yeah. going through his hair. Yeah. He's got like Vagisil on his thigh, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> touching all the different substances. So like, this isn't like a, you know, a novel concept here either, but I just look at it across the game and, you know, I am a big believer. And I think uh, a lot of people have been banging this drum lately that we need to see more bat to ball. We need to see more contact. We need to see more balls in play balls driven in the alley guys running around and if this is one of the things that can be done to kind of maybe get us going in that direction, uh, then then I'm in favor of it and right. saying, like, hey, let's get this stuff out of here. One thing I'm very interested to see, though, and I, one potential concern is you, you remove this grip and these guys are still throwing 95, 98, 99, having no idea where it's going now once you remove, remove the, the substances. I'm a little bit worried about what that might mean for, for guys getting banged at the plate and yep. getting hurt. And you, you guys struggle with command as it is in baseball today. Now you remove a variable out like that. And, you know, I, I'm very, very interested to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be, it is, it is interesting. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm on the fence still. Like, do you look at Garrett Cole and say, like, this guy's an all time fraud? Like, is he, is he Barry Bonds to you now? No. He's not. I mean, the only thing—the only thing with Garrett Cole was—is you know he was actually on the Astros team that found ways to cheat. Not that it affected him with the trash can banging, but you know if you're if you're a part of that in some way, and now all of a sudden you're part of this in some way, then of course it kind of it looks bad for the guy. But yeah, well, I mean, he could do himself a favor and just go out and continue to dominate post this, and yeah. and, and that puts some of that to rest. But if all of a sudden you see the ERA balloon by you know one and a half runs, strikeout numbers come tumbling down. Yeah, we'll know, I guess. But yeah, we will. It's we interesting. Will. I I I just don't feel that this one though has the same like level of outrage long term. It's not great. You know, cheating's cheating. You know, in an ideal world there wouldn't be any. But I, I just look at this situation. And everyone's like, baseball has another controversy on their hands. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But like, this one just doesn't really like bring out no. the morality clause for me. Where and and not only that, it's it's also something that's been going on for ages. Like yeah. they, you go, you can go back into the 40s and 50s, and guys were putting stuff on on balls. You know, I mean, spitballs were big back then, right? And no, it's a, it's amazing. Um, you know, I think just because of the pure volume of balls that are coming in and out of the game too, and stuff. I think probably helps that, or, you know, and obviously there is just this understanding that, that guys do it. You don't really see stuff in high school. I will tell you that. Like I, I have never seen any of my players have anything like that. And I've never suspected uh, other teams of doing anything like that. And I think part of the reason why though, is you might only go through seven or eight baseballs in a game, you know, on certain fields and right. if guys are using that shit. You're going to know it, right? right. Like you're going to, you're going to pick up that ball that goes off the fence as a coach and you go, 
oh, what's, what's this, man? And then you throw it back to the pitcher. So, but it, it's it's interesting to me, and I'm very, very curious to see what the offensive output for the remainder of this season yeah, looks like. I, I got to tell you, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned balls going in and out in major leagues. I, I really get annoyed by how often balls are are changed nowadays. Like, I mean, it's I, I, I understand when balls. I understand when balls are fouled, you know, whatever. Okay. But I mean, dude throws one pitch in the dirt and it's like, oh, throw that ball away. Get, get give, give me a new one. Like, I mean, come on, just send the ball back. Pitch with, pitch with what you have. It's, it's funny. Like we order, we have to play with certain baseballs at the high school level, the, these 10, 10, 10 balls. And uh-huh. uh, like, they have like a stamp on them and, uh, they're expensive. Like for a case, they're like $55, you know, (laughs) you're only getting like 12 baseballs for 55 bucks. And I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, they must spend millions. You know, (laughs) I feel it to me. Like it just seems like they must be spending millions. Cause I mean, we get about a thousand fifteen hundred dollars worth of baseballs and you pray to God through a season. You're like, yo, go get that ball. You know, (laughs) like those balls are very valuable to us. So funny how liberally they're used at the major. Yeah. That, that does bother me when they throw them in and out, like on every, every other pitch. So. All right. Well, you have anything else? I think we've done under an hour. Very good. Yeah. I'm good. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, maybe sometime. And not at the trade deadline. deadline or something. <laughs> so. Listen, I'm not going to come on air. We can talk about this after the fact. I'm not going to make any promises. I, in theory, yes, I would like to be doing this regularly uh, or twice a week. I just, you know, we've said that before, and I just don't want to. I don't want to betray our listeners like that with false promises. I'm always here. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So I am Bob Wackel for Anthony Sanfilippo. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Up. Make sure that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, man. Big West Coast swing. We'll talk to you guys soon.